0: Well good morning again. If you have your Bibles, we are in Colossians chapter three. We're going to be looking at verses twenty and twenty one. If you need a Bible, Greg is up. Phil is up. You know, raise your hand and get a Bible right to your seat. Colossians three, twenty, twenty one. You know, we've recently looked at the role of the the wife and how they are submit to the husbands as, to the, as unto the Lord. We looked at the role of the husband and how they're to love the wife as Christ loved the church and not be bitter towards them. And this morning, it, it's worked out really great through the book of Colossians because now we're talking about children and about fathers. And it happens to fall on Father's Day. And so it's, it's just a great way the Lord had lined that up. So next week, we're going to be finishing up our study in the book of Colossians. The following week, we're going to do a special uh, topical study on, on last days, end times, what's going on in this world, what's happening, and how does that fit into end times. Then the following week after that, to stay on that theme, we're going to start the book of Revelation. And so uh, we'll be going through that in the next coming week, so you know what's ahead. But uh, this morning is Father's Day, and and uh, it's always a brave thing for you dads to come to church on Father's Day. But I found this video... I like, you go through a lot of them, but this is, this is a video called Stuff Dads Never Say. So here you go, roll them.
1: Yeah. I never had trouble with my toddler I never had trouble with my teenagers I never had trouble with my adult children You know, she's right We are ruining her life <laughs> Yes, more homework to correct All right, winding Yay, tantrums Hmm, Robin We just really need to spoil these kids more Sorry, buddy I don't know any good jokes at all You're 16 You pretty much know everything now Not even you to a great age to get married Open for a couple of hours. Thanks. Whoa, buddy well, really does grow on trees. <laughs>
0: you know, if you're a good father, you would not say any one of those things. And, uh, but we are in Colossians chapter three this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 20 and 21. If the you other Bibles look at verse 20, we read, Children, obey your parents and all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And the title of my message is A Good, Good Father. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity that we could. Gather together in this place, Lord. It's so sweet to have the fellowship with the actual bodies in this place, Lord, physically. And we praise you for that and ask that you would bless our time together. or Speak to us through your word. Lord, I know that you have something to say to not just fathers, but to everyone here, Lord, because it's your word and your word is powerful. And so we thank you for this time. We do pray, Father, if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again. Lord, would you especially touch their heart today. So bless our time together, we pray. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's always a brave thing to come to church on Father's Day knowing you're going to hear about how to be better fathers. But I believe you're taking a step in the right direction. Uh, Those who are seeking to be good, godly fathers, grandfathers. You know, I want to speak today really primarily uh, to men, but but not only that, to young men raising families, older men who've been there and done that, you know, but you still have a role with grandchildren and parenting them and and single men who may one day become fathers and then also to women so that you'll understand the, the, the unique role that fathers play today in the home. I know that many of us, me included, sometimes feel ill-equipped in being a good father or mother. Maybe you come from a home where, where your dad wasn't involved in your life, or maybe your parents split up, or maybe you are like me, where my father passed away when I was three years old, and my mom never married and never had a dad. And so you suddenly became a father, and you're going, oh, now, now what do I do? You know, uh, uh, You know, how am I going to do this? But understand, God will give you the strength to do it as you heed what His Word says. Because when it comes right down to it, better to be an okay but learning dad than one, one who's completely out of the picture. Why? Well, because many, in many ways, fathers are the visible link for their children to their father in heaven. So many, many op- opinions that they'll develop as a young age about God, they will learn from their relationship with their earthly father. So we want to do as dads everything we can to point our kids towards the Lord. James, James Dobson in his book, The Strong-Willed Child, writes this, Child-rearing is like baking a cake. You don't realize you have a disaster until it's too late. Well, we don't want it to be too late. So, so for that reason, if you're taking notes, we're going to see three things. We're going to see, number one, a good kid. Number two, a good dad. And number three, a good, good father. Number one, a good kid. Again, look at verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. As we look at our culture today, it's pretty clear that obedience and respect for parents, it's at an all-time low. You know, in most ancient cultures, respect and submission was just a part of their everyday lives. You just did that. There there wasn't no choice about it. In fact, in the Roman culture, the father had virtually absolute power and authority over the child. So when the child was born, it was placed at the father's feet. If the father picked up the child, that child was accepted. If not, if not, that child could be sold or, or left outside to die of exposure or even given away. So in comparison to kids from Jesus' time and before, kids really do have it much better off these days. Now, we know that in the Department of Social Services, they have separate departments for adult protective services and child protective services. Why? Because we know today there are parents who beat their children. There are, 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 are children who are beaten up by their... By their, their no, the, the parents who beat their children, children who beat up their parents, adult children. Now, I'm not opposed to... to um, uh, I mean, I'm highly opposed to the government interfering and raising children... But I'm very opposed to, to the violence, parents killing children and children killing their parents. It's ridiculous, and we're seeing it nowadays. That's a culture that our families are part of today. But it's worth noting that we've been told that one of the signs of the last days, of the end times, is a lack of the respect for parents. Paul writes in Second Timothy 3.2, For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. Man, and we see it today, I mean, all over the place, you know, our culture. There's this basically, basically rebellion going on against all godly principles. That's why Christian parenting is so important. And that's why we need to look to God's Word. We need to, to accomplish that task to see what we need to accomplish that task. We go all the way back to the Ten Commandments. The first law governing human relationships, Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. The word there for honor comes from the verb that means to be heavy or to give weight. So if you're an adult and your parents are still alive, then you are to honor them, which means no matter how busy your life is, no matter what you got going on in your life, you're not to neglect them, you're not to forget about them, they should hold a place of honor in your home. We should never isolate them or reject them. Even when they say, well, I just don't want to be a burden. Listen, you were a burden for 18 to 20 years to them, so you owe it to them. See, Paul here is speaking specifically to children, those still under the parents' authority in the home, when he says, children, obey your parents, and all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. See, the children's role, the child's role, is very self-explanatory. Be obedient in all things. The word obey means to hear and to heed. It's the idea of listening intently and conforming to a command. Now, as parents, we often wonder why our kids don't get this. Why are you not understanding this? I think a lot of times when that happens, it's because we've forgotten what it was like to be their age. read a story about a father who was becoming quite upset with a six-year-old boy who took so long to get home from school. The father was determined to make the trip himself to see how long it should take him to cover the distance. He concluded that walking home from school should take only about 20 minutes maximum, but it was taking his son well over an hour. Finally, the father decided to walk with his son. After the trip, the dad said, well, you know, 20 minutes seems about right. I thought it was reasonable. However, I felt to consider such important things as a side trip down to watch a trail of ants. I failed to, to recognize, a, the stop to watch a man fix a flat tire, or to take the time to swing around a telephone pole half a dozen times, or how much longer it takes for a boy to get acquainted with a stray dog. In short, the man said, I've forgotten what it was like to be a six-year-old. And I think we as adults have forgotten what it's like to be their age. But let me say this as well. We as parents, we need to be setting the example of what it means to be obedient to the Lord ourselves if we expect our children to learn to be obedient. When Paul says, obey your parents in all things, we need to know that we are the ones that are setting the example in the home of obedience to the Lord. If certain TV program comes on your TV and you feel it's inappropriate for your children, instead of telling them to go outside and play, or worse yet, letting them watch it, show your obedience to the Lord by turning off the program and telling your children this is a program that doesn't please the Lord. You do that enough in all things that it sets the example in your home that as Christian parents, our desire is to please the Lord at all times, in all things. So then when they're instructed to obey you, they will listen because they see you obeying the Lord in what you do. So obey your parents and the Lord. Why? Well, it's while pleasing to the Lord. And that should be our hearts and everything we do. To please the Lord. What a great joy it brings to a parent when they see that the things that they taught their children in growing up and they, now their kids have taken that and put it into practice. And they have their own relationship with the Lord. One of my favorite verses I tell my kids all the time, Third John chapter 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Because our goal as parents is to put point our children to Jesus Christ, as grandparents, to point our children to Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that our children don't belong to us. They belong to God. They're only alone to us from Him. And God wants us to shape them and mold them with the ultimate goal of seeing themselves come into a relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. Now, I know that we're not going to be perfect, but we do our great disservice to our kids if we're hypocritical in our homes. And we need to make make every effort to live godly lives and not just wanting to be a witness outside the world, but be a witness to our children in the homes. Because little eyes are watching, little ears are listening to what we say and what we do as parents, so we need to be aware of that like the story about a mom who invited some people over for dinner, and as everyone was seated around the table, the mom suggested her little girl ask the blessing. The little girl responded, but I wouldn't know what to say. The mother responded, just say what you hear mommy say. And the little girl bowed her head and prayed, dear God, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? (laughs) Be careful, because little eyes are watching, little ears are listening to what we say. Andrew Murray said this, The secret of home rule is self-rule. First being ourselves, what we want our children to be. Our children need to see the gospel lived as well as heard preached. You are an example to your kids. Well, then Paul moves from the kids to the parents, specifically the father. Point number two, a good dad. One person writes this, This is five ways that you can be 99% effective in ruining your child. Number one, Begin with infancy. Give a child everything he wants. Number two, when he picks up a bad word, laugh at him. Number three, never give him any spiritual training. Let him wait till he is old enough to decide for himself. Number four, avoid using the word wrong. He may develop a serious guilt complex. Number five, pick up everything he or she leaves lying around so he will be experienced in throwing responsibility onto everybody else. Just the opposite of what God has called us to do. What does it take to be a good dad? Well, it begins with not provoking our kids. Look at verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children unless they become discouraged. That word provoke there means to, through a repeated ongoing pattern of treatment, to provoke the child to anger, resulting in a deep seated resentment that would boil over into outward hostility and discouragement. Do not exasperate your children or gold your children into the point of discouragement. That word discouragement means to be disheartened, dispirited, broken in spirit. So you put that whole sentence together. Don't irritate and provoke your kids or they'll have no passion. They will be disheartened. Now you say, well, how on earth would a father or a mother uh, do something that would discourage or dishearten or break their spirits? Let me give you three ways if you're taking notes. One way you can provoke your child and discourage and dishearten them and break their spirit is by showing favoritism, showing favoritism, favoring one child over another. You now, my son Matthew, even to this day, he said, "Dad, I'm your favorite son, right? Right? I'm your favorite son." I said, "Matt, you are my favorite youngest son." But see, you can you can provoke your child and discourage by showing favoritism. Saying things like, well, you know, I wish you were more athletic like your brother. Why can't you get straight A's like your sister? It's like the parent that told their child, when I was your age, I made straight A's. I bet George Washington made straight A's. And your kid responds, yeah, George Washington was president of the United States when he was your age. But to say, why can't you do this or why can't you do that? What's wrong with you? Look how well your sibling does that. Comparing one with, with another, showing uh, attention and affection on one child at the expense of the other, that can cause resentment. I mean, you don't need to look far to see a biblical example of this. Just, just go back to Genesis. Read the story of Jacob and Esau. Remember, Jacob was the favorite son by his mom, Rebekah, and Esau was the favorite son by his father, Isaac. And essentially, they, they pitted the two brothers against each other. And long after the parents were gone, the rivalry between the siblings carried well on into their adult years. And then, ironically, Jacob, who should have known better, who knows what it was like to have favoritism, you know, shown towards his brother, he goes and shows it to his own son Joseph. Remember, Joseph, you know, Jacob got him this coat of many colors and, and basically this long-sleeved tunic and nice garment. His brothers are out in the field, and here comes Joseph, you know, just kind of. Sporting this new coach, hey, hey, brother, check out what dad gave me. I have it, you don't, you know, and that caused great resentment towards his brothers. I mean, enough to want to do them in. So showing favoritism is a bad thing. Don't do that, don't let that happen in your home. And understand this no two children are alike, even identical twins. And I'm learning this from experience. My son's identical granddaughter, my twins, you know, the granddaughters, Aubrey and Finley. Aubrey doesn't care if she's got watermelon all over her face and her hands are sticky and she's just putting more watermelon in her face. Finley, she gets a little bit of the stick and it's like, oh, you know, she doesn't want it on there. Aubrey will stand. We have this little push cart, a little frozen push cart. You can put the kid on it and you can push them around. Aubrey wants to stand on it. And she's doing this and she's smiling. Finney just kind of looks at her and then gets behind her and wants to push her off of the thing. I mean, they're not alike. You know, they're different. And we need to recognize that no two children are exactly alike just as no two snowflakes are alike. Some kids are more compliant, good-natured and happy, while others be cranky all the time. I mean, believe me, my wife and I, we raised five kids, and all of them were different. Some were naturally artistic, some more athletic, some more logical, some more emotional, Every child's different. So you have to uh, deal with them differently. You can't deal with them as if they're all the same. You have to adapt to them. Don't change the godly principles that you have to teach them, but you may have to apply them differently to your child's temperament. And again, never pit one against the other. Don't say, why can't you be more like him or more like her? Each one is a precious gift from God, and our job is to do the best, again, to point them to the Lord. So here's what your your kids, your grandkids, your nieces or nephews need to know that you're always in their court. No matter how well they do in academics or sports or how poorly they do, no matter what, you are there to love them and to support them. Do your kids know that right now? Do they know that you're in their court? Have you told them recently? Say, yeah, but they're adults now. See, they still like to know that. A lot of kids carry that pain well into their adult years because their father never said, hey, you did a great job, or because mom never said, I love you. I think it would be surprised surprise at, at, at the good it would do if today you picked up your phone and just called your adult child and said, man, I know it's Father Day and you should be calling me, but I'm calling you just to tell you I love you. Just to tell you, you know, I, I'm so proud of you. I think it's going to do a lot of good. And yet, your children, your little children, they need to hear that as well, that no matter what, mom and dad are there for them. Second way you can provoke your children and discourage and dishearten and break their spirit is through neglect. That was King David's problem with his son Absalom. He treated his son with indifference, and as Absalom grew up, he grew up with a contempt for his own dad that ultimately resulted in Absalom murdering his brother undermining his father's kingdom, and then dying an untimely death, all because David neglected him. Are you neglecting your kids? There's a danger in that. According to the data from the National Child Abuse and Neglect Data System, 50 states reported that a total of 1,688 child fatalities happened in 2017 from neglect. And that rate... It translates to a rate of 2.32 children per 100,000 children in the general population, an average of nearly five children dying every day from abuse or neglect. Many researchers and practitioners believe child fatalities due to abuse and neglect are still underreported as to what that is. In most cases of fatal neglect, the child's death results not from anything the caregiver does, just from the caregiver's failure to act, failure to watch. They're too concerned with what they're doing in their lives not to take care of their own kids. fact of the matter is, according to the non-profit group Common Sense Media, they just reported just this last Tuesday that today's American teenagers spend an astounding nine hours a day with digital technology, entertaining themselves with streaming video, listening to music and playing games, and tweens, ages 8 to 12, are spending six hours a day with media. So before they've graduated from high school, they would have watched 20,000 hours of digital technology. And the majority of the things that they're seeing, it's garbage. Authority figures as evil, uh, rebellion as a virtue. They would have seen sin, glamorized sexual innuendos as normal comedy, adultery, homosexuality. All this would have been presented more and more as something that is not only acceptable, but if you disagree with it, then there's something wrong with you. And you and I both know I'm not overstating what's happening here. And that's a message that's being bombarded by the media today. It's all around us. And kids respond to what they're seeing. Did you know that 11 is the average age a child is first exposed to porn? And 94% of kids will see porn by the age of 14 years old. That's what happens when we neglect our children and let the world give them the principles to live by. Darcel Rocket, he's a, a writer for the Chicago Tribune, he wrote this. If liquor companies had vending machines outside their buildings, and to buy some, you had to press a button that, that asked, Are you 21? Yes or no? Would you as a parent stand for it? Anti-pornography advocates say the answer would be no, and the same should apply to online porn sites. See, kids over a long period of time will get themselves into trouble when they are left on their own without any supervision and that's the way you can provoke your kids. Then the third way of provoking and discouraging your children is by never complimenting them. Listen, you need to tell them that you love them. You need to verbally tell them you're proud of them, that you've noticed their achievements. Now, some of you may go to pick up your kids today. They'll come out of Sunday school with this drawing and something that they made with crayons all over it. Look, Mom, I drew Jesus. You turn it upside down a couple of ways. Yeah, yeah, I see it kind of right there. Take that second. Hold on to that picture. Oh, this is beautiful. This is a masterpiece. Put it on your refrigerator. Let your child know that you care. They need to hear that from you. Remember, again, our children are just loaned to us by God. And you never know when the moment you have with them will be the last. So treasure them, appreciate them, thank God for what you have, and take the time with them. That's what we're supposed to do. In fact, Paul gives us a little more instructions for us as his fathers in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 when he says this, he says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I think this falls back on dads. We're to bring up our children in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now the tendency for us as dads is to say, Well, I earn the money. you know I, I, I learned the living. That's my job. You, you know, wife, you need to raise the kids. The Bible tells us it's different. God's Word says, Dad, bring up the children. How? In the training and admonition of the Lord. It's interesting that that same word for training here is the word chasten that is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, where it says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. See, the bottom line as you help uh, your children walk in the path God lays out for them. It's your responsibility It's your responsibility, Dad, to deal with the sin that's within them. Because here's the problem. Our sin nature is alive and well from the moment we're born. We want pleasure. We want satisfaction. I never had to teach any one of my five kids the word mine. They just knew it. I never had to tell any one of my kids as toddlers, or I never once told any one of my kids as toddlers to stop doing something when they didn't look at me with that look on their face and did exactly what I told them not to do. Every one of them had done that. Why? Because every child, every person that is born is born empty, insufficient, and in need of a touch from Jesus. We're born sinners. I like this uh, illustration. It's it's called the Ten Property Laws of a Toddler. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. Number two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. Number three, if I can take it from you, it's mine. Number four, if I had it a little while ago, it's mine. Number five, if it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. Number six, if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. Number seven, if it looks just like mine, it's mine. Number eight, if I saw it first, it's mine. Number nine, if you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And number 10, if it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> David tells us in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. David's saying, I was born a sinner. Now, the depravity of man is a doctrine that today's educators deny, but God's Word underscores from cover to cover. Kids are born sinners. Oh, they're talented. I mean, after all, we're all made in the image of God. There's all sorts of uh, potential packed in their little bodies, but there's also sin and anger and rage and hostility all within them. I've liked this study. It's very interesting. I mean, I've shared it before. One study of juvenile delinquency came to this conclusion. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He's completely selfish and totally self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch. Deny him these things, and he seethes with a rage and aggressiveness that would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. If permitted to continue on their self-centered world of infancy, every child would go to be a criminal, a thief, a rapist, and a killer. Think about it. That's why God's word says in Proverbs 13:24, "He who spares his rod hates somebody who loves him, disciplines him promptly." Listen, don't let the world tell you that spanking is harmful to your kid's psyche. That's not biblical, and it's just stupid. The Bible says, Proverbs 29:15, "The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left himself brings shame to his mother. And I believe, personally, that parents that don't spank their kids are guilty of child abuse of the worst sort. And I feel sorry for these kids, and I feel sorry for us that have to live with them. And they're the ones out there writing and breaking into stores and looking and causing all sorts of trouble. Why? Because there's a lack of discipline when they were raised. If we love our kids, we're going to discipline them. Now, we know the Bible teaches it should be done at an early age. Proverbs 19.18 says, chasten your son while there's hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. Don't neglect your children by failing to discipline them. Proverbs 22, 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. It doesn't say the hours of conversation and telling them not to do it will drive it far from him. It doesn't say that. Now, without going into a whole lot of detail, let me just give you nine quick tips on how to discipline your child properly. Number one, as we already read, you need to start young. Number two, it should never be in anger. Number three, it should be based on prior instruction. They, they, they know what they did was wrong. You don't spank your kid and tell them why they did two days later. It should be done in private, never in public, not in front of others. Again, you should tell them why they're being disciplined and what rules they violated. Number five, number six, it should be done in the right place of the anatomy. God has provided just the right spot to apply this discipline by God's design, the rod of discipline should be applied to the seat of understanding. It should be done with a rod or with a wooden spoon. And I believe that for a couple reasons. First, you can't tell how hard you swat when you swat with your hand. It's more of a blow, but with a stick or a wood spoon, you can tell it just kind of stings. Then secondly, the hand is used for loving and for cuddling. And I would rather have them associate discipline with a wooden spoon rather than with my hand. The number eight, look for the change of heart. Look for that repentance and sorrow and then take time to pray with them and love them and forgive them and and seek that restoration after they've been disciplined. Susanna Wesley, mother of 17 kids. Could you imagine that? 17 kids, which included John and Charles Wesley, the great evangelist and hymn writer and the founder of Methodism. She wrote these words, and I quote, "...the parent who studies to subdue self-will in his child walks together with God in the renewing and saving of the soul. The parent who indulges self-will does the devil's work and makes religion impractical and salvation unattainable and does all that is in him to drown his child's soul and body forever. See, we need to be partners with God in disciplining our children. And let me say this again. The purpose of discipline is not to vent your, your anger or your wrath. It's for teaching your children what is right and what is wrong. And in my opinion, that spanking should be reserved for those times when a child does something dangerous or deliberately disobedient. Oftentimes, a few firm words of instruction uh, delivered in love and concern for a child is all that's needed. But there are times when, when a child will hear, not hear that, and all they'll hear is a physical reminder in love and follow with the reassurance that they are indeed loved. My kids are all different. You know, the, my son Chris, man, I just... So you did something wrong and, and you're gonna be saying, I'm so sorry, Dad, you know, I'm so sorry, and you get a spanking and one then I have another child. I won't say who, but uh What I do, what I do, I don't do anything wrong, I don't do anything wrong. Just admit what you did. And and then it will be done. No, no, I didn't do anything wrong, just admit it, please. Laura. <laughs> Oops, I'm sorry. I'm in trouble. Kids are different because some kids you can just, just talk to and they understand and, and they get it. But some kids, you know, they need the, 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 you know, what they need. Finally, number nine, how to discipline our children properly. It's found in Ephesians 6.4. We looked at it already. We need to do it in the admonition of the Lord. That's a, that, that means verbal instruction with warning. And where does the verbal instruction come from? It's got to be from God's Word. Here's what God's Word says, Here's how you violated God's Word. Here's the instruction that you need to know. Now, in order for you, Dad, to do that, you need to know God's Word. You need to be spiritual. Too many dads neglect knowing the Bible. I think some kids learn more from Sunday school than they do from their, their, from their dad, and that shouldn't be. Know your Bible. Be a man of the Word of God. Study the Scripture so you can communicate to your kids and teach them that when they do something wrong, you can show them the verse and why. When they do something right, you can give them that verse. And then pray for your kids. Man, I think far too many dads and moms, we need to be praying for them. And be that example of prayer to them. Steve Farrar writes this of a praying dad. A godly father is the unseen spiritual submarine who lurks below the surface of every activity of his child's life. A man who is put on the full armor of God and goes to warfare on his knees is a force to be reckoned with. We cannot be with our kids 24 hours a day, but through prayer we have the ability to affect situations even when we are not physically present. You may be undetected, but that doesn't mean you are ineffective. I like that. So pray for your kids. Pray with your kids. Be an example of a man of prayer. Set the example of serving the Lord consistently, making that a priority in your life. Focus your life on church and involvement with God's people. See, these are all things that we need to do to set an example in the home and seize the moments that we have with our kids. It goes by so fast. If fathers are to instruct their children, they need to do it through the Word and by the Word and through a Godly example. I've always loved Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9. It's a charge for all of us. Verse 4 says, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, is, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as friendless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If we're to be godly parents, we need to be an example to our children by by being in God's Word and and seize those moments that we have when they're teachable, when they're receptive. And again, talk to them about the things of God. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, lay a godly foundation in your home. I read this uh, little uh, statement this guy wrote after he raised his kids, after they were well out of the house. And he's looking back And he wrote, if I had to do things all over again, this is what I would do. Now, this is a Christian father, looking back on his life, and he wrote these words, and I quote, My family's all grown, and my kids are all gone now. But if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do. I would love my wife in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more, even to the littlest child. I would be more honest in my own weaknesses, never pretending perfection. I would pray different for my family. Instead of focusing on me, I would focus on them. He says, I would do more things together with my children. I would encourage them more and bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to little things like their thoughts and words of thoughtfulness. And finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God more intimately with my family. Every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary life day, I would use it to direct them to God. So true. That's why, not even for a moment, man, we should consider abandoning this commitment that we made to our wives, to our children. That'd be like a deserter in the face of a battle and being branded a traitor. Don't give up, man. Be the spiritual leaders to your wife and your children that God has called you to be. Be the godly example in your home. Put these principles to work. Wife, be the wife that God has called you to be. Uh, you know, it's been rightly said, the best defense is a good offense. Meaning, the best way to protect your family is, is from the horrible temptations and the things going around is to equip them, get them equipped, with, with a, a spiritually equip them. I think uh, this aptly shown in the words of King David to his son Solomon. He wrote this in First Chronicles twenty eight nine. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Know the God of your father. And this brings us to our third and final point. Number one, a good kid. Number two, a good dad. Number three, a good, good father. And I, and I have to tell you, I don't know of any church today in America that didn't sing good, good father today on Father's Day. Why is that? Well, because we recognize we have a good, good father. Galatians 3.26 tells us, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And we need to remember that. That those of us in Christ, those of us born again, we become God's children. When we cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba means Daddy. God is no longer our judge who through the law has condemned us and imprisoned us. We no longer fear Him and dread the punishment we deserve. We have a Father who has loved us and has redeemed us and has forgiven us and has accepted us. First John 3, 1 John 3.1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. That word for behold means to look at and be amazed. What are we amazed with? The love, the manner of love that God has given to us. And notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, Behold, what manner of love the King has bestowed upon its subjects. It doesn't say, Behold, what manner of love the Master has given to His servants. It doesn't say, Behold, what manner of love the Judge has given to the Forgiven. Doesn't say, Behold, what man of love the teacher has given to his students. All those would have been appropriate. But that's not what he says. He says, Behold, what man of love the father has given to his children. And that makes him a good, good father. You know, there are many, many aspects about our, our, our father's love for us that we don't often think about. But when you put it into perspective about you being a dad and loving your children, there are so many parallels. I want to point out, Four ways our good, good Father loves us, and then we're going to close. Just quick, four more points. Number one, our Father's love speaks of protection. Speaks of protection. When my kids were young, when we first moved out here, and the thunderstorms would come, and the tornado horns would go off, and, and man, all five of them were in our bedroom. I mean, just immediately. Annie in particular, she kind of freaked out over the storms a little bit more. And But I'd hold on to her and tell her, listen, everything's going to be all right. It's going to pass. We know where the storm is, you know, and... I didn't say, get in the basement, and screamed. I didn't do that. Everything was okay. (laughs) And she would relax, and she would fall back to sleep, and I'd take her to bed. That's how it is with with the Lord as our Father. And when we look around, and man, there's a storm all over the place. Man, there's all this stuff that's going on. It, It could freak us out. And God said, listen, don't worry. i got everything under control. And we can come to Him even in the midst of a storm and find safety and security in His arms. The Bible tells us in Psalm 18, 2, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. So our Father's love speaks of protection. Number two, our Father's love takes pleasure in His children. Think about that. I mean, when you go to the school play as a parent, who are you looking at? Oh, man, what's your fault? Did you see my daughter? Are you go to that baseball game, man, do you see that play my son made? Listen, our Father is a God that takes pleasure in His kids, in His children. Psalm 147, 11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him and those who hope in His mercy. And Zephaniah three seventeen: the Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Number three, our Father's love speaks of acceptance speaks of acceptance. I mean, think about when a baby is born. If we're honest, most of them are kind of (laughs) ugly. But to the parents, oh, look how beautiful. The kid's got this smushed face and this carrot kind of thing, and it's all red, no hair. But but to the parents, oh, it's just beautiful. Now, I've never seen parents hold a conference with each other and try to decide whether they should keep their child or not. They never looked down at that child and said, you know, I think we can do better. No, when my kids were born, they were now a Humphrey. Like it or not, they were in the family, accepted. Large foreheads and all. I mean, it's a poor kid. I mean, sorry, it's just it's genetics. In the same way, when you're born again, you're in. You're accepted. You're part of God's family. God's love speaks of acceptance. It's not going to turn on you. And finally, number four, our Father's love never fails. As we sing, it never gives up, never fails. I like that Psalm 136, verses 1 through 9, it's um, called the Contemporary English Version Bible. It reads this. Praise the Lord, He is good. God's love never fails. Praise the God of all gods. God's love never fails. Praise the Lord of lords. God's love never fails. Only God works great miracles. God's love never fails. With wisdom, He made the sky. God's love never fails. The Lord stretched the earth over the ocean. God's love never fails. He made the bright lights in the sky. God's love never fails. He lets the sun rule each day. God's love never fails. He lets the moon and the stars rule each night. God's love never fails. And if you drop down to verse 26, praise God in heaven, God's love never fails. Oh, we have such a good, good Father. As we close, Dad, do you want to be a better father, better parent, better child of God? The way to do that is by renewing your commitment to Jesus Christ. Your relationship with your family is only as good as your relationship is with Jesus. If you're half-hearted in your commitment to Christ, then you're only going to be half-hearted in your commitment to your wife and your children. It's only the man that is sold out for the Lord who will be worth anything to his family. And only Christ can make us that caring, loving, and giving men and parents we need to be. So whatever needs to change in your life, if the Lord has spoken to to your heart this morning, change. Allow God's Spirit to take complete control of you and your family. Renew your commitment to Him and to them and you'll have the most blessed Father's Day there is. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a father. Well, we all have fathers. This day, if you can, let your dad know how much you appreciate him, uh, you know, as well as how much you love the Lord. Pray for him. Maybe you've come here this morning because it's Father's Day and your family dragged you here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, that's the first place to start. Make sure you give your life to the Lord. No better time to become a child of God than today day on Father's Day. The Bible says, Now is accepted time. Behold the day. Today is the day of salvation. As we close, Our Heavenly Father loves us so much He gave His only begotten Son to come to this earth to save us. Jesus took upon himself the penalty for my sin, for your sin, which was death, in order to give us life. What a great, great father we have. And may God help us to be good parents and good great grandparents and good uncles and aunts and and do that which God has called us to do. Finally, as I do for Mother's Day, today being Father's Day, I want all the dads to stand up this morning and we're going to pray for you. Granddads, dads, stand up. Guys, we need this. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. We thank you that you are our good, good Father. And we can look to you to see what it means to be a good Father. Lord, I thank you for these men that are standing right now. Lord, thank you for the great influence that they have. Lord, in this fellowship and in in our cities, these fathers, these grandfathers, maybe even some great-grandfathers, Lord. Lord, these leaders who love you, who or leading their homes, Lord. Lord, help them to continue on in the work, to not give up, to not hold back, to continue to be the the leadership in the home that you've called them to be. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit for that. I need your Spirit for that, Lord, at times, even with adult kids. Lord, we need that power. We need that strength to be those leaders you've called us to be. So bless each father here, we pray, Lord. Give them the power they need to bring you glory and to do your will. And Father, for all of us this morning, Lord, we want to thank you for being such a great Father to us and calling us into the family of God and to be your children. May we bless you all day today, Lord, and just sing praises to you, our good Father. And may we look to, to call up, if we can, again, Lord, just our dads and just be grateful to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.